0: Anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. You might be seated if you'll help me preach a little bit. Things sure have changed a lot. I I I'm I feel like I'm one of those, you know, I, I remember my, my papa my mom all, you know, they would talk about how things changed and how things are differently, and here I am saying the exact same things they are, the songs are different, the, the, the world is different, young people are different, I don't get young people anymore, they, they don't make a lick of sense, my own son, I don't get him half the time, I don't get his friends all the time, I just things change. But the highlight of my school was when they would drag out the old reel-to-reel movie projector, And bring the whole sixth grade class into the gym. And we got to have movie day. No VCRs. We sat on the linoleum. We didn't have padded little cushions that they have now in these weak schools. We had to sit on the linoleum and and we would watch. And I remember watching the timeless classic, Where the Red Fern Grows. It's as vivid in my mind today as it was then. Some of you have no idea what I'm even talking about. It's a book. Those are these things that have two covers and there's these white pages in the middle and you open them up and you read them and as you read them there is an image that appears in your mind, in your imagination and you can see it happen but you have to open the book in order for it to do it. And uh, I had read that book long before I had watched the movie, and it was vivid. But there's something about seeing it on the block wall of an old school, Garrett Elementary School. It's still there. It's across from the sanctuary uh, that we'll be having camp meeting here in a little bit. I'm sitting there. I was, I mean, I like people, and but I wouldn't say I was the most popular one. I wanted to be. I desired to be popular. I desired to be all that, and so you know, as a six-year-old or as a as a sixth grader, um, it, it's vitally important that you maintain your street cred. You know, uh, if somebody has cooties, you cannot touch them, you cannot be with them, you cannot be by them. It will mess up your life forever. And if you get touched by said person with cooties, your 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 social circle shrinks drastically. Sixth grade was rough. But I'm watching there and I'm sitting there and old Dan, the coon dog, got hurt by the mountain lion and passed away. And something began to happen. My throat began to close up. And, and, and it was bad. I, I didn't understand it. It, was, it started, then, then old Dan died. And up there in the mountains, they buried old Dan. But little Ann won't leave the grave and she lays on that grave until she dies. And the hot things started sliding down my cheek. I was so glad it was dark because I was looking around to see who was watching. I didn't want anybody to see Brandon Buford cry. I mean, come on. But, but I remember it was, it broke me up. I wept for the loss of those two dogs, old Dan and little Ann. Now, I, I did cry a lot as a child. Most of it because my mom was whooping me and I was begging for mercy with everything I had hoping that somehow the tears might, might soften the blows but it didn't work at all. And so when it didn't work, I wouldn't cry and then she'd say, well, how about I give you something to cry about? And I couldn't win no matter what happened. But along with the physiology... And the changes that come with adolescence, one of the things that begin to happen is I lost the ability to cry. You know, the older us men get, the less we cry. It's not a popular subject. Uh, Typically, us men, we we don't, you know, sit around sharing our feelings. About the closest I've ever seen some of you men cry is when you talk about an errant golf shot or a buck that was lost or a fish that came off. That's about the closest it gets, you know, um... But my wife, on the other hand, she can cry. She possesses the ability to leak ductile fluid at a very rapid rate. Just in case you don't know what ductile fluid is, you have tear ducts, the fluid that comes out of your tear ducts. That's ductile fluid. She cries when she's happy. She cries when she's sad. She cries when she's mad. She cries when she's excited. She cries when she's confused. She cries when she's hyper. She cries when she's tired. She cries. But lest I end up sleeping on the couch, we're going to quickly move past this. It's not about the ability or inability to cry as it pertains to. <laughs> You're not helping me, Sister Gail. We're supposed to uh, We didn't discuss the payment of if I talk about it, we just talked about that. But rather than talk about male or female or, or, or tears or anything like that, I'd, I'd like to just kind of lean back on that Psalms thirty forty five, His anger endureth for but a moment, and his favour is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. I've preached a lot about the joy that comes in the morning. That that message, that sermon, that 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 verse, it it has a a element of of expectancy that things might not be perfect now, but joy is coming, and so it gives you hope and it it gives you uh, an understanding. But I I and I preached it. In fact, I remember the first time that I formulated a sermon uh, on the joy cometh in a morning, and it was my response as a young as a youth pastor to a young person who had come to me about how do I live past my sin how do I ever get past the mistakes I've made how do I ever get past the shame of things that I've done and so I remember telling that young person give me a moment let me let me pray and 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 let me let me figure out how to answer that question right because to be honest I've had some of those same questions. And so it was that I begin to find in, in Psalms 30 and verse 5 this understanding, it's a formula if you will, that if a person will truly repent, their sins are completely forgiven. And, and so I could, I could preach and I have preached and probably will again in my life. I can preach about the complete removal of one's sin, shame and consequences. The Bible says that when you repent of your sins, That Jesus not only forgives you of your sins, but he forgets your sins. It's verses that talk about that the Lord hath removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. And you realize you can get on Highway 70 and you can start going west and you can go west for the rest of your life and you will never be going east. If you go north for a long time, eventually you'll cross over the North Pole and you'll start going south. But east doesn't work like that. West doesn't work like that. Another one says that he takes our sins and he puts them under the waves. And I get this visual image of the Lord that walks on the water, walking on top of my sunken sin, not allowing them to come back. And while you and I may remember our sins, and you and I may remember our transgressions, the Bible says the Lord does not. But the the problem is, rather, the problem is, while that is good and needs to be taught... Sometimes the reason someone cannot escape the shame is because they first never learned to weep. I believe that all too often we push past the weeping because we want the joy. But I'm here today to teach you and to tell you and to preach to you we got to learn to weep again. How many times have we rushed through the first part of that verse? About the weeping only to get to the joy that comes in the morning. How many times have we potentially pushed a person who was in the repentance stages because we want to get them past the repentance. We want the Holy Ghost to fall. We want the tongues to come. When was the last time perhaps you and I asked my own self this to... And started going back, and I think we do this here maybe better than some, but when's the last time you heard a soul-searching message that confirmed the obvious, we're just filthy, disgusting sinners separated from God by our transgressions? The Bible has a lot to say about the subject of weeping, In fact, the Bible tells us that weeping is very much ordained of God. It says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 20 when he lifted his eyes upon his disciples and he said, Blessed be you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But watch verse 21. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. See, I'm, I'm convinced beyond all shadow of a doubt that laughter and joy doesn't come until you learn To weep, Some would say, but Brother Buford, I'm a stoic. I don't have a lot of emotions. I'm too mature to weep. I'm too logical to weep. I'm not an emotional person. I keep it all inside. I I don't like others to see. I don't like God to see how I feel. And you can hold on to that all you want. But Luke chapter 6 and verse 24 says this, But woe unto you that are rich... For you have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. And watch here. Woe to you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. I'll touch on that premise a little bit later. Just remember, we've got to learn to weep again. For Matthew 8 and verse 12 has this to say, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are the words of Jesus concerning those that won't make it to heaven. He says, if you don't learn to weep on earth, you will learn to weep in hell. Weeping may endure for a night. I said it earlier, but let me just say it again. I fear we pass too quickly over this first part. We like the joy. We like the excitement. We like the, the shout, but... I want to focus on that phrase, weeping may endure for a night. It's the understanding of what night is, I think, that captures my attention. Because when I think of night, I think of the absence of light. For to me, and even to, to the, 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 how, how our world works, light is what makes a day. And when you don't get light, it's not fun. I remember being in Toledo, Ohio, Toledo... We had a great time being youth pastors there. I enjoyed the people, not so much the city. It's the ugliest city known to man. And uh, it would snow in about October, and it would never melt. I remember flying into Detroit Airport in July, and they still had a pile of snow on the tarmac. Now, granted, it was the snow that they kept pushing there, and during the winter, it was about 18 stories tall, that pile of snow. But still, in July, they still had snow snow that was melting. And the problem is, have you ever noticed that snow might be pretty the first day it falls, but then after it starts to melt, how ugly it gets? And then, I remember being in Toledo and and listening to the news, and one day the news came on and said, and said, oh, it has been 60 days since the sun has shone in Toledo. It was awful. The sun hadn't shone, and but you know what, I was pretty good, I, I didn't really think about it I mean I had realized it had been pretty dreary for a long time But I was perfectly content not to notice And then someone opened his mouth and made me aware that light was missing And so then, I had winter depression That's all I could think about it. I was sad, I was, a cabin fever had set in I wanted to fish, but you'd have to go ice fishing. I didn't have any place to ice fish. Because in reality, day is day because of the light. And here's what I want to extrapolate from that. If night is the absence of light, and spiritually we understand that Jesus is the light, then we have to realize that in our world, there are times of spiritual night. There seems to be in our world today an absence of night. The light. It's John chapter 1 and verse 1 that tells us about in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The light of the universe stepped down into Israel, and they didn't recognize it. It was a time of spiritual darkness. It was a time in which the promise was there and, and the, their, their salvation was walking among them. And at the end of the time, at the end of the day, there was only 120 that heard the call on that day of Pentecost. How many others got the bread? How many others ate of the fishes? How many others were healed and, and blinded eyes open? How many others got to see the miracles? How many others rubbed against the, the humanity of God walking there on earth? But it is the more... I, I, I hope I can use the word mature. The longer I live, the longer I'm a pastor, the more I realize we've got to learn to weep again. I weep because of the moral darkness that invades our communities, our homes, and our churches. I weep because of loss of Christian values that infiltrates our countries. I weep when I read there in Michigan that the governor of Michigan has produced a bill that he wants to pass that a child in school can go to her counselor and get information on having an abortion and the counselor is not allowed to tell the parents anything about it. I weep when I realize that that same child could never go and take a Tylenol without mama saying it's okay to take a Tylenol. But somewhere in the warped mind of our world an abortion doesn't need parental oversight. There's a bill that stands in the Missouri House, or at least is going to the Missouri House, I read today, where they are trying to, to uh, 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 and, and it's a good bill, and it's, and it's, I think, you know, but there's this uh, push for, in our libraries, what they call drag queen story out. And they will have demonic drag queens come and read books on drag queens to children. You can go and see it. I don't necessarily recommend it, but you can go and see what they've done in California and other places. And so the bill in the Missouri house right now is to protect that from from happening in Missouri. I weep when I realize the spiritual night that takes place even as I speak. You and I, I love the church. I love the worship. I love the glory that is here. But I have come to the conclusion that that, that we have got to learn to weep. I weep over the status of our young people. I weep over the blatant disrespect for truth that some of my loved ones have. I weep for the souls of O'Fallon. I weep for the souls of this community. I weep, but I know there's a morning coming. But there is one Aspect of the weeping that I would have to focus on Where Paul begins to quote And it's written there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8 And I'm going to read in the New Living Translation Just because it's very clear New Living Translation, he writes I'm no longer sorry that I sent that letter to you I was sorry for a while, I knew it was painful The letter, he must have written a pretty scathing letter But I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurts you but because the pain caused you to have remorse and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow that God wants His people to have. You weren't harmed by us in any way, for God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. And we'll, we'll, we'll never regret that kind of sorrow, but sorrow without repentance is the kind that results in death. Just see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me. Such zeal, such readiness to punish the wrongdoer. You've shown that you've done everything you could to make things right. Paul said there's two kinds of sorrow in this world. There's godly sorrow and, and worldly sorrow. He said worldly sorrow leads to death and let me just be very blunt with that. I have in my time as a pastor, my time as a youth pastor, my time as a as a police chaplain, I've I've come to the conclusion that most all suicides happen because of a worldly sorrow. Why is it that someone would choose to overdose and take a bunch of pills? Why is it that someone would take a noose, put it around their neck and lo- lose their life? Why someone shoot themselves why would that happen it's because they're weeping but they don't know what to do with their tears they're broken inside they've come to the same conclusion that you and I have come to that we're not holy that there is something morally wrong with humanity that we're not saved just because we're human that we are born sinners the bars are filled because people realize I'm born a sinner I'm born a failure I'm born broken and so there is a lot of worldly sorrow but it only leads to death but there is a godly sorrow there is a godly weeping not there's a tear in my beer not some weeping that you just cry and you never get any any freedom from but there is a godly sorrow a message that works repentance unto salvation it's one that will change your life and it will take you from being broken to being whole from being a a, a, a worm as the one uh, songwriter said to being a child of God it's godly sorrow weeping weeping in case you're wondering or scratching your head trying to figure out what I'm exactly trying to say let me put it this way again I love you Sister Buford with all my heart Brianna read something see something show it to me I I I'll look over in bed sometimes, and she's been looking at her phone, sudden big old tears. I'm like, "What?" She goes, "This is so sad. Why are you watching it? Here, watch this. Are you kidding? I don't want to be sad." I, I, I tap him. On. This is so sad. Here, you ought to see this, Brandon. Nope. But she has a saying more than one occasion she looked at me and she said Brandon you're dead inside you're dead inside I think that's why when I do cry it wrecks her there's been a few times in my life in our marriage that I've just lost it broke down and she has no idea what to do I mean I really do have a soft side, but I'm a man, coolly logical. But in reality, she's right. I'm dead inside because we've forgotten how to weep, and I could take this a step further. And I could say it about some of you as well, not not because you you don't cry on where the red fern grows, but I could look at your eyes, and I could say you're dead inside because you have forgotten how to weep. You can sin, and it not do anything to you. You can flaunt your transgression, but we lose the ability to weep in repentance. Would you listen to me today? And I know the—I I, I am well aware of the audience and whom I'm talking to. This is not a Holy Ghost crusade where a bunch of sinners have come. I realize that you're here, and you're here almost every Sunday. But it ought to tear you up inside when you sin. It ought to bring tears to your eyes and a weeping to your face when you even brush close to sin. There ought to be a revolt in your body when you tell a lie. For you to tell a lie, it ought to just about kill you. You've got to go through every every fiber of your being, every fiber of your soul, every fiber of your body tells you don't do this. And I'll just be transparent because maybe it'll help you understand where you're at. There have been times that I have sinned. And while I've sinned, my brain is saying, you're an idiot. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. The conscience that God has given us, the Holy Ghost inside, don't walk there. Don't look at that. Don't talk about that. Don't do it. Hey, Brandon, and it's knocking and it's knocking. And if we're not careful, we tune it out. We lose the ability. We're dead inside. Your entire being ought to tremble at the very thought of entering into God's presence with unrepentant sin. I will tell you this, and and I'm, I'm thankful I'm not saying this happened last night or a year ago. I've got 40 years of illustrations that I can tell you about. You have to decide what year it happened. But I will tell you that I have lived my entire life in a bit of a fear that I would miss the rapture. I've told you later, you know, you don't have to be afraid And I think that's where we get when you start really focusing and loving God and serving God But, but I, I've lived that where I've sinned and, and, and couldn't even go to bed that night Because I knew if I went to bed, I remember the, the prayer that my mom and dad taught me Now I lay me down to sleep I pray my soul that you would keep And if I die before I wake I pray, Lord, my soul you take Some of you are afraid to go to sleep because you know where you've been, what you've done, and what's happened. But I'm telling you, it needs to mess you up. You don't need to be dead inside. You don't need to get to the place where your sin no longer causes you to weep, where your sin no longer causes you to be moved by God. Remember, the Bible says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, you shall hunger. But woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn You could read Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1 at the end talks about wisdom is calling and you refused, you stretched out, he str- uh, wisdom stretched out their hand and no man regarded and then at the very end it says, for they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, none would come to my counsel, they despised all my reproof. The Bible tells us that wisdom just kind of skits up and leaves I believe there's a time in which God has allowed that conscience to move and that conscience to push. But there'll be a point in which God will just step up and say, all right, do what you want to do. I said last Sunday night in, 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 the, in the mighty, powerful move that God was doing, I made the statement that without conviction there can be no salvation. No, no salvation. If we don't have that that conviction, you don't get all of the the, the cross. You don't get the glory. You don't get conversion. That's the word I'm looking for. I said if you don't have conviction, you don't get conversion. That conviction comes, and I've read stories. I I meant to bring it up. I have it in another place. But Jonathan Edwards is famous for his sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. They said that Jonathan Edwards, he he would preach, and he was very... uh, whatever it is where you can't see things close up. And they said he, he was monotoned when he spoke. He would write out his, his sermon and when he preached he would preach like this because he couldn't see his notes and of course they didn't have all the lights that we had, it would have been dark, maybe some gas lanterns perhaps but he would preach like this monotone there were no theatrics, there were no banging on the pulpit per se, it was just a man preaching, he talked about a God that looks at humanity as if we are just spiders hanging over a fire just at the very whim of God, he would burn you up and they said that grown men would it would pour out of the bars, they would close bars down in the cities when they would have the, the camp meeting with Jonathan Edwards preaching and they would have sawdust floors and it said that he could never get through his sermon before there would be people running to the front weeping and crying and I'm telling you we've got to have that again in 2020 right now. We've got to have the place where when the, when the, when the preaching of God is going forth it grabs hold of lives of those that are out in the congregation. We've got to be, uh, 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 we've got to learn to weep again. We've gotten so comfortable it seems and this world has gotten so comfortable in our sins and our lifestyles that people can transgress and never think about the consequences. They can go as far as jet laughing and joking about their sins and flaunting them but Jesus said, woe to them that laugh now. The Bible says if we're not careful we do despite to the cross. He bled for us. He died for us. He sacrificed for us. Yet still we sin. Yet still we smirk, confident in our own delusions of easy grace. Oh, if I sin, I'll just come to church. Turn on the spigot. Turn on the shower of uh, of God's grace. It's like those uh, uh, showers. If you're working somewhere and you get contaminated, you can just go pull a lever, a bunch of water come out, and it decontaminates you. And so, we confident in those delusions of easy grace. While forever the sands of our life trickle away, many of us become like Pilate. We wash our hands continually, but we never erase the guilty stain. Because we've forgotten how to weep in repentance. It's why Proverbs 1.23 says, Turn from my reproof, and behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. That's a, a repentance. It's the reversal of one's attitudes and values, a turning away from sin and turning towards God. It's Jeremiah 7 and 3, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Amos 5 and 4, thus saith the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and you shall live. Don't seek Bethel, don't enter into Gilgal, don't pass by Beersheba. Gilgal will go into captivity, Bethel will come to naught, but seek the Lord and you shall live. It's Matthew 3 and 2, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Second Chronicles 7, 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land and my eyes shall be open and my ears attend to the prayer that is made in this place. That prayer is not just a prayer that we pray at, 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 at city council meetings and we pray at, 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 you know, civic duties. It's a prayer that needs to happen in this church if my people pray. Because the one thing that I'm learning is that revival only follows repentance. And how can we expect the sinner to walk into a place and hear a sermon and be moved if the sermons don't first move us? How can we allow the sinner to walk in these doors and we want them to be touched but yet The word just one ear and out of the other. I tell you today, if we'll learn to weep, if we'll learn to weep in this moment, if we'll allow true repentance to gush forth, he'll hear from us and he will open the doors to the greatest harvest this world has ever known. Jeremiah The weeping prophet wrote this. Hear and give ear. Don't be proud for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings the darkness. Give glory before he makes your feet to stumble on the twilight mountains. And while you look for light, he turns it to gloom and makes it deep darkness. But watch verse 17. He says this, he says, But if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears for the Lord's flock has been taken captive. I weep today for those who reject His word. I get to the place in my life that I weep for those backsliders, those who have heard the message, those who don't respond. It's Jeremiah 22 and verse 10. Don't weep for those who are dead. Don't grieve for those who are dead. It's too late, but weep bitterly for the one who goes away, for he shall no more return to see his native land. I weep for the backsliders. James put it this way. He said, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's an awesome verse. I love that verse. Powerful verse. But don't stop there. Just like I don't want you to stop where it says weeping endure for a night. You've got to get to the joy. Or don't just read joy and forget the night. Because you've got to read and you've got to continue. James says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep let your mourning and your joy or let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you John said well well, Jesus, he recorded the words of Jesus John chapter 16 and verse 16 a little longer Jesus said just a little while and you're not going to see me anymore and then a little while later you'll see me and disciples didn't understand what was going on what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me and again a little while you'll see me because I'm going to the father they were asking they were saying what are you talking about Jesus in his incredible wisdom and knowledge he knew what they were going to ask him and he said is this not what you were asking yourselves you're wondering what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me again a little while and you will see me but look at verse 20 truly truly I say to you You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is given birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born of the world. And you also will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy for you. And that day you'll ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it. And the Lord begin to speak to me. The weeping that's happening right, that, that will happen, and I, and I know it will, is a moment of travail. And if we'll learn to weep, if we'll learn to travail, we'll birth a revival. Revival. It's no fun to weep. It's no fun to be broken. It's no fun to be humbled. It's no fun to let the tears flow down your cheek. It's like the pain of childbearing. But if you'll learn to weep now, there's a joy coming. If you'll learn to travail now, there's a joy coming. You, 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 you want to see loved ones come. You want to see a, a building full, not just this building, but even a new building that we will buy. You want to see that full, then you've got to travail for what and who is coming. We have to learn to weep if we ever expect them to walk into this place and weep. So I ask you today, are you dead inside? Or is there an understanding that God, I'm just a worm. I don't deserve any of the glory. I don't deserve any of the honor. I don't deserve any of the holiness. I don't deserve any of the forgiveness. Lord, when I look and look at the bank account of my life, it's far in the negative and then I realize how much you've invested in me. God, don't ever let me lose my ability to weep. I weep for my own life because I still see the rough edges and I still see the the rebellion and I still see the I still see me I still see me coming to the surface oh I know I should see you when I look in the mirror but every once in a while old Brandon raises his head and I'm broken inside and I realize how much I need you and I weep I weep for my family I weep for my lost loved ones I weep for this world I weep for this community I travail and let the tears flow because, God, I so desire the joy that comes in the morning. I so desire the cry of that new child in Christ Jesus. But, Lord, teach me to weep now. Teach me to travail now. And I open and hallow this entire sanctuary. It may not be the front. It may be right where you're sitting It may be that you stand, it might be that you sit and just simply lean your head forward, or it might be you kneel down. But I'm asking, is there anyone here who knows how to weep?